Our sermon text is from the Gospel according to St. Mark, as recorded in chapter 14, verses 12 through 26. On the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples asked him, Where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? He sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and there a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house that the teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. His disciples left and went into the city and found things just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he arrived with the twelve. While they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Amen, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and said to him one by one, Surely not I. He said to them, It is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread with me in the dish. Indeed, the Son of Man is going to go just as it has been written about him. But woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take it, this is my body. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and he gave it to them. They all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the New Testament, which is poured out for many. Amen, I tell you, I will certainly not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. After they sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. This is the gospel of the Lord. Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Gracious Lord, as we celebrate your institution of Holy Communion, we ask you to work through the words of today's sermon that we may understand that in your mystical union, none of us lives to himself alone and none of us dies to himself alone. And help us to know and believe all the things you are uniting together when we partake of your supper. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Brothers and sisters in Christ, throughout this Lent season, since we are celebrating the 500th anniversary of Luther's posting of that 95 thesis that began the snowballing effect of the Reformation, we have looked throughout the Passion history and used that to show Reformation principles. And if you think you are going to get a Monday Thursday sermon tonight without hearing about the Reformation, you're wrong. You're going to get that tonight. And in Luther's day, there had to be there was a lot of battles over the Lord's Supper, and we'll get into a couple of those. And so, in modern days, Lutheran theologians refer to the Lord's Supper as a specific thing. When I was in middle school and high school in science, if we wanted to see if something was an acid, there was this piece of paper you stuck in it, and if that piece of paper changed color, it would it let you know it was an acid, and that was called the litmus test. And so Lutheran theologians today say a church's teaching on the Lord's Supper is the litmus test for all of their theology. It's just the dead giveaway whether or not they believe in justification by grace or not. And so today we'll see the Reformation restores the right teaching of the Lord's Supper as we look at Mark's record of the institution of the Lord's Supper. And so we're told on the first day of the festival of unleavened bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, his disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? Brothers and sisters in Christ, God instituted the Passover. He instituted it on the night that he would deliver the Israelites out of Egypt. 
Remember, there was a lamb they were to eat, but when they killed it to roast it whole, they were supposed to take the blood and paint it on the doorframe of their house because that night God was going to come by with the last plague on Egypt, the plague of the firstborn. He would kill the firstborn of every house unless the blood of the lamb was smeared on their door. And so it is for you and I that when the blood of the Lamb is on us through the baptismal waters, God passes over us with his wrath and eternal damnation. But that was a fellowship meal. It was like our Christmas or our Thanksgiving meal in modern days. You invite close family and close friends. It's an intimate meal that was celebrated, usually with the family. We'll see in the Old Testament lesson tonight that if a guy was single or didn't have a large enough family, he would join together with his neighbors. But it was meant to be something that also united as it pointed to the blood of the Lamb, Jesus Christ. And so he sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and there a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Wherever he enters, tell the owner of the house that the teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. Make preparations for us there. His disciples left and went into the city and found things just as he had told them, and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he arrived with the twelve. Brothers and sisters in Christ, do you ever wonder why so much secrecy? And you and I might miss this, but normally in that time in Israel's history, it was the women who carried the jars of water for the daily things needed in the house. So to see a man carrying a jar of water uh, would be kind of an unusual sign. But why did he just tell them, you know, go to 711 West 45th Street and you'll find the upper room prepared for us? Because Jesus is true God and he knows all things. And he already knows Judas is planning to betray him. And he knows the instructions Judas has been given is to get Jesus aside so they can arrest him without a crowd. What better place? What better place to arrest him than when he's in this room right there in Jerusalem without the crowd in the private fellowship of the 12 disciples? But Jesus had a lot he wanted to do that night, and he wanted to institute the Lord's Supper. He had instructions and prayers he wanted to give to his disciples. So he gave them these instructions so that Judas would not be able to run off to the Sanhedrin and say he's at 711 West 45th Street or whatever address. All this so he could enjoy the intimate fellowship with his disciples. Now we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 that we partake of one loaf. And it unites us because we are the one body of Christ. So even if we didn't have 1 Corinthians, by this event, we already began to see this was meant to be a special fellowship meal. And we know from Corinthians, it's meant to unite us together. And so tonight, as we celebrate the institution of the Lord's Supper, stop and think about the wonderful neatness, the very close intimacy, a family meal that we get to have together in which he actually unites you and I, each of us together into his body as Christ is the head. The Reformation restores the right teaching of the Lord's Supper by seeing it's a fellowship meal. And therefore, as properly spelled out in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11, we exclude from it those who do not understand it, those who are not prepared or mature enough or mentally capable of understanding it. But for those who are, it's a special Christmas meal that unites us together. Next, we're told, while they were reclining and eating, Jesus said, Amen, I tell you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. 
They began to be sorrowful and said to him, one by one, surely not I. He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread with me in the dish. Indeed, the son of man is going to go just as it has been written about him. But woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been even better for that man if he had not been born. You can say that of anybody who ends up in hell. It's better for them to have not been born than to spend an eternity in hell. So why didn't Jesus just come out and say, Hey guys, guess what? Judas is going to betray me. Why does he sit there and say, I'm telling you one of you is going to betray me? Think about what happens. One by one, they said, Surely not I. They began to examine themselves. They began to stop and think about their sin and their relationship to their Savior. They each had to look at their sinful nature and say, Could it be me? In other words, by doing it the way he did, he opened them up, kind of to that they would end up undergoing a self-examination. Now, we learn in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11 that the, that the Corinthians, when they celebrated the Lord's Supper, it was very much like, that, like you would go to an idol feast, and some of them were just hogging down those who were free and could afford it, but the slaves who didn't own anything, they, did it, they couldn't come with the bread or with wine, and, and so some of the people were getting drunk as if it was a drunken celebration, and, and others were, were not getting to celebrate in the Lord's Supper. And the Apostle Paul says, that's why some of you are getting sick. God wanted them to examine themselves and stop and think about what they were receiving and stop and think like the disciples did, whether or not they needed forgiveness. It is amazing the monstrosities we're capable of doing in our sinful nature if, if the circumstances are set up. And so it's nice to know that God has wants us, when we celebrate the Lord's Supper, it gives us forgiveness. And he wants us to stop and examine ourselves. And what are we examining? It's very simple. Am I a sinner who needs forgiveness? And in the Lord's Supper, the Lord gives us something very wonderful. You can hear the forgiveness of sins announced to you. You can read it in the Word of God, but you get to literally eat and digest it in the Lord's Supper. Now, a lot of churches that came along after the Lutheran church and even prior, you know, the lay people, they came into a big building in which the, everything was spoken in Latin. They didn't understand it. They were only given the bread. And because of all this, they didn't understand what they heard was hocus pocus. When the priest was saying hocus corpus, this is my body. And so the Lutheran church properly held, holds to the word of God through that reformation that God does want us to stop and examine ourselves, not to examine ourselves in, in order to give ourselves a brown beating, but to understand, do I need forgiveness? Yes, I need forgiveness. And God is going to give this to me in a very special way. And there in the front of the hymnal, we even have Luther had wrote, it's not a requirement, but a nice little thing to go through uh, if you don't think you are a sinner who needs forgiveness. And so there's even an aid to help with self-examination. So as we look at the Reformation using today's text, we see the Reformation restores the right teaching of the Lord's Supper as a fellowship meal that unites us together as brothers and sisters in Christ and a time for self-examination so that we rejoice in the forgiveness we are going to get to taste and see. But now the rubber hits the road, the institution. And I want to add here, if you read the Greek uh, language in, in, the, in the three Gospels that record the institution of the Lord's Supper, it does seem that before Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper, which would be at the third cup in the Passover meal, Judas has already left. 
But I can't say that for sure. No one can. And so it tells us if somebody comes and they're unworthy of the Lord's Supper and we've told them close communion, that's on them. And, and, but it also lets us know we want to warn those who do not understand the forgiveness of sins and what we're going to cover next. And that's the institution. While they were eating, Jesus took bread. When he had blessed it, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat, this is my body. Now, we don't have this distinction in English. The, the Greek language used uh, gender. So this, the word this, is neuter. Uh, the word for bread is feminine, and body is masculine. So why does he use the neuter this? He's not just talking about bread, that would be feminine. He's not just talking about his body, he's talking about what he's just instituted. It is not the Lord's Supper if it is not instituted. And that is to say those words of Christ. And the next words come along in verse 23. Then he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them. They all drank from it. He said to them, This is my blood of the New Testament which is poured out for many. Amen, I would tell you, I will certainly not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it in new in the kingdom of God. Once again, what I said about the bread also applies to the cup. It's not the Lord's Supper if it has not been instituted. Now, I want to address one thing before we get into the big elephant in the room. After Luther came along, a group of people came along who were called the Anabaptists. And they just knew that Jesus couldn't have drank wine. They just knew it. In fact, until Mr. Welch came along in the 1800s, they couldn't keep that, that grape juice from spoiling. He applied the pasteurization process to it, which originally came out of beer. So they just knew it, and it was, a couple, it was nearly 300 years later before they could finally make it so. When Jesus celebrated the Lord's Supper, grapes were not in a position where you could squeeze them and get grape juice out of them. So if he drank grape juice without refrigeration, it would have been spoiled. It makes it very clear that it was wine. So, Christ doesn't want us overusing alcohol, but he himself did use it. It has its purposes. And it was wine that was used in the Passover meal. Now to the big thing. There were essentially, when Luther came along, two teachings on the Lord's Supper. The first was one out by the prominent medieval theologian in the Roman Catholic Church, Thomas Aquinas. That little word, is, this is my body, this is my blood, he changed that little word is and made it becomes. What I mean is this. He taught that when you took the bread, it had stopped to be bread. Oh, it looked like bread and tasted like bread, but it was not bread at all. It was only the body of Christ. And there was a blasphemous practice then. The lay people wouldn't take the bread in their hands because they were afraid they weren't holy enough to touch the body of the Lord. So it was placed right in their mouth. Never mind, they thought they were holy enough to chew on it, I guess. And then when they were done, if there was any bread left over, they went around town, they'd go down Main Street and they would pray that around. People bowed and worshipped it. And that bread became idolatry. And the cup... Well, they were afraid that was the blood of the Lord. And in the couple hundred years before the Reformation, around the area of Czechoslovakia today, some of them had cleft palates and they would spill a little bit of the wine coming out of their mouth. So it was decided that the lay people wouldn't receive the wine. That was, they said, that's there with body. And only the priest would get it. And he had to drink all the leftover wine. And there was a reason why most priests were alcoholics during that time. So Luther looked at the Greek and he saw the word is. He says, no, this is my body. Now, a guy who came along after Luther, his name was Zwingli. He's the father of modern Christianity. Zwingli changed the word. He didn't change it to become. He took that word is and he made it this represents. So to most Christians right here in America today, 
They don't believe they're getting the body and blood of the Lord and they're robbed of a tremendous comfort. They believe it represents the body and blood of the Lord. And so when they hear, do this in remembrance of me, to them, this is what they're doing. If a guy was in Vietnam, we'll say, for example, and he had a friend who jumped in front of him and, 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 and covered the grenade and the grenade explodes, so the guy dies. So for him, the Lord's Supper would be like going to that person, going to the Vietnam War Memorial, maybe taking a piece of paper and tracing his name, leaving some flowers below it, putting his hand on that name and saying, thank you for your sacrifice, I now have life. So when you tell them they can't take communion because they don't believe what it is, to them it's like telling that guy, you can't go visit the War Memorial. Then if your view of the Lord's Supper is wrong like that, you can see why they'd be so offended. But... That little word is, is an equal sign. And again, when we look at the Greek grammar, the bread doesn't become the body, but the body is there. The wine doesn't become the blood, the blood is there. And so in our catechism today, we say that Christ's body and blood are in, with, and under the bread and wine. Why does it matter? Because as I've already said, you get to taste and digest the forgiveness of sins. You get the very body that unites you together, that unites us together. You get the very blood that was shed to remove your sin, and we call it a special sacramental presence. So, as the Greek grammar states in the inspired testaments, we are receiving both bread and wine and the body and blood of our Lord. So we see the Reformation, Luther had to fight against both sides in that. We see the Reformation restores the right teaching of the Lord's Supper, a fellowship meal that unites us together as family, as the body of Christ. A time for self-examination so that we're ready to see, we're ready to receive the forgiveness of sins, and a true presence of the Lord's body and blood, which is why we get the forgiveness of sins, which is why it can defy science and be here in the bread and in the wine and at all the churches in America that are celebrating it because Jesus is not just true man, he's true God. And what's the last part of our text? After they sang a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Uh, this would have been one of the Hallel hymns. We know within three because of what they used to celebrate during the Passover meal. Uh, well, we can take an educated guess what they were singing. But you recognize what happens in the Mount of Olives. The Garden of Gethsemane is on the Mount of Olives. On the way in between, Christ will say his high priestly prayer for his disciples. They're going to go to the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is going to pray. And Judas is going to show up with the crowd to arrest Jesus. And those disciples are going to flee. Two, two will have enough backbone to come and listen to the kangaroo trial. John and Peter, who, poor Peter, in a moment of weakness, will deny his Lord three times. Jesus gave them the Lord's Supper to strengthen them that night. Judas will go off and hang himself and not believe forgiveness is his. Peter will despair, but he will trust in the forgiveness. It's because he got a little extra boost that day. He was given soul food. He was given the Lord's body and blood in a special miraculous way before all those events unfolded. When we receive the Lord's Supper, you are passively receiving what God has given for you. But at the same time, we also are worshiping together. And then when we leave, we've received the Lord's Supper as you will tonight. Guess where you're going? You're going back out into the world where the devil has one goal. 
The devil has one goal. He wants to get you to fall from the faith and he'll use the world to mock you for your faith and ridicule you and point you out as being silly and talk to you to embrace sins. And then there's the old puppet, your sinful nature. So you're going to go out in the world as you do and you're going to face trials. And the Lord's Supper is soul food. It gives you forgiveness and it nourishes your soul, strengthens it up so that you can face the trials of this world. And so, brothers and sisters in Christ, it's, it's why we incorporate it into our worship services, because it gives us strength to face the trials of this world until God calls us out of this veil of tears. And so as we look at the Reformation in our text today, we see the Reformation restores the right teaching of the Lord's Supper. It's a fellowship meal that unites us all together. It's a time for self-examination so we understand what we're going to receive and see our need to have it and rejoice in having it. And that's a true presence of the Lord's body and blood, which is soul food. So we see it's worship as we face our trials because it nourishes and strengthens our faith. Amen. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Amen.